Welcome to the war and good morning wherever you are. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful day. Most of all, we thank you that you are the Lord God and that you are good and that you are in control of all things, including your creation. Lord God, and even though the enemy has been given opportunity to run roughshod over it for a long time, you are God, you are righteous, you are holy, you are just, you are true, and you are fair. And so I thank you, Lord God, that you will give us today new eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive the revelation and understanding of your truth, that you take off the cataracts of tradition and jadedness and uh, the dazed uh, uh, mesmerizing effects and powers of, of this world over our souls, Father God, that we would see. Thank you, Jesus, that you saw clearly. You went to the cross. You knew what you were doing. You laid down your life willingly. You rose from the dead through the grace and power of your Father, and you came back. Lord, to give us power through the power of your Holy Spirit. So give us courage now. Guide us as we look into your holy, precious word today. We thank you for it. It is our life. Amen. Amen. Yeah, the word is our our word, really, for every area of of living, of thinking. And, you know, people don't think about that, though. Yeah, Paul, we really need to have our minds renewed. We need to be deprogrammed yeah, yep, exactly. and reprogrammed. Romans 12 talks about being transformed mm-hmm. by the renewing of our minds. That we may, that we prove, may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. You know that word prove or approve. Approve what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because when we come to this world, we're not in agreement with God's word. We are in agreement with this world system, the God of this world, this worldview uh, which is basically built on doing and taking responsibility, which all sounds good. I mean, it sounds so common and familiar. It sounds exactly good. But it's actually an enemy and a contradiction and contrary to the grace of God, the purpose of God, and the the way God wants us to walk in the Spirit, in the Spirit versus in our soul, in trusting in Him versus relying upon our own selves. Yeah, and the whole idea is that we see things as what's in it for me. How how yeah. can I advance myself, and I'll do whatever I can mm-hmm. to survive. Mm-hmm. We remember we did a survey some years ago, yeah, uh, on the streets of downtown Minneapolis, and we we met with a whole large cross-section. large cross section of people mm-hmm. from homeless to very wealthy people, all ages, all races. The number one question question we said, you know, what what was the question we asked? I don't remember what the question. What was. is life? What is life? Yeah. yeah. And basically, people were saying just to survive. Some said family, but most said it's what? it's to survive Actually, in this life, just to get through mm-hmm. it. They couldn't get. They really couldn't answer the question very well. It was quite sad and tragic. And as a matter of fact, halfway through the interview, uh, questioning them as what is life, what is they couldn't answer it. So they were just you know like not being. They weren't able to answer it. So we had to change the question to what is the most important thing right. in your life. And, and and they said it was some a lot of people said family mm-hmm. and and then a lot of people said it just just to survive to do whatever we have yeah. to do well, to survive to to make it 
to to find some kind of, of security. Meaning, purpose, whatever. And meaning and purpose. Well, yeah. you know, the three basic questions of life are actually, uh, the first one is the three issues, the three um, tasks, the, th- the three things we have to accomplish in this world as being born into this world are, number one, to survive. And, and and most people... That would be the food, clothing, and shelter. Well, that would needs. be get through the process, the death that awaits as many, many people as they come into the world to survive that gauntlet of abortion or, uh, you know, whatever, you, discarding of the human life. So if you, so survival. And then once you're survived that, then to find your food, clothing, and shelter surviving in, in, in keeping basic human needs together. The second most important of the three, there are three that I've seen, um, is to uh, take the, the question of, of um, righteousness. How do I become righteous? How am I good? Am I good? What makes me good? How do I prove that I'm worthy of love? Mm-hmm. So it's a question of righteousness, uh, and it all. And Satan wants to base that answer on your um, your your doing, human doings, doing something to deserve to be loved. So he makes love conditional, and then he hits people with, "I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of love, and not worthy to be loved." And so that very thought makes uh, redefines love as conditional as opposed to unconditional, the unconditional love of God, which is not based on our merit, but upon his goodness. And the third issue is an issue of responsibility. Whose fault is it? Who's to blame? Who, who, who did this wrong? Who needs to be blamed? Who needs to be brought to justice for this thing? So it's a matter of finding out who's to blame. And that's another big category that Satan can use well to undo us and to create great divides between us because he causes us to constantly being blamed by other people, blaming other people, blaming ourselves, blaming God, but no one ever seems to ever blame the devil. I mean, they only do it in jest. They only say, oh, it's a little demon that sits on my shoulder. The devil made me do it. Yeah, but they don't really understand that that is the ultimate evil. It's not any particular political party. It's not any particular individuals and their their attempts at this and that. They are promoting evil and puppets of evil and doing evil and giving place to evil and agreeing with evil, but they are not the source of evil. The origin of evil is Satan himself. And so, again, it's survival. It's righteousness. And again, with righteousness, Satan can set us up with all kinds of laws and traditions and commandments and falling short. And and with that law, he can create great uh, blame and consternation in people so that they're feeling never worthy, never good enough, never. And then he sets them up, you know, with the with the responsibility. So righteousness, responsibility and survival. And so when we look at these things, as we kind of segue into our talk for uh, our discussion today of blind Bartimaeus, we're seeing he was basically failing uh, just barely getting by on the first of those three needs, and that is to survive. Yes. Uh, well, it's in the book of Mark. It's in three of the Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, and Luke. But it, we're reading from Mark because we've been going through the book of Mark and then referring to the other uh, parallel passages as well. Mark chapter 10, uh, we'll just read through uh, those six seven verses now when they came now they came to jericho and as he went out of jericho with his disciples and a great multitude blind bartimaeus the son of timaeus sat 
by the road begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that means rabbi or teacher, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. Now, it's interesting that in Matthew, that same story is told almost word for word, except it says that there are two blind men sitting by the road and that they heard Jesus was passing mm-hmm. by and cried out saying, have mercy on us, Lord, O Lord, son of David. So either there's an error, which I don't believe there is, no. or this story happened more than once. Well, and there was one time when there or there was actually two guys. And Mark picks up the story with Bartimaeus because he knew his name. And Matthew just added the second guy. So maybe there were two guys sitting there. Well, or there, maybe there was one. Well, Jesus healed many blind. Or maybe this was two different occasions. No, Jesus, there was another occasion earlier in the Gospels where Jesus healed two blind men. But it's a different situation. He's, he healed many blind people, lame, blind, mm-hmm. deaf, all that stuff. So that's why he, he came. And, and But it's interesting, very important that, well, let's just go with Mark, with the Mark, well, the single yeah. man, with a name. This man had a name. Not many of the people who Jesus healed, do we know their names? Um, I th- we don't. We know the blind man or the man by the pool or the, the leper or the this or the that. But we really don't have many that actually have names. Yeah. And, and as we go back here, we'll look at where they where they were in the setting is the city of Jericho. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that remember that Jericho was the the city where uh, Joshua yeah. came against. They walked around the walls. Remember, they blew the trumpets uh, after going seven days. And then the seventh day, they went around seven times. They blew the trumpet and the walls of Jericho fell down flat with the exception there was a spot in the wall that didn't fall. Mm-hmm. That was I'm poetic, and I didn't even realize that. Yes, but a spot in the wall that didn't fall, and that was uh, Rahab's house. She was a, a a harlot. She was a prostitute, and and she lived there with her her family. And um, because the spies had the spies had come in to check out Jericho to see what it was like, you know, before we destroy the place, take it over. But she hid the spies and she said, you know what? I know that your people, your God is the real true God. And it says that God spared uh, Rahab because she hid the spies. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, wait a minute. No. So how how does hiding spies save you? But part of it is that it was her testimony. She says, I know your God is the mm-hmm. true living yes. God. Amen. There was a revelation there that came to her. And she, as, as, a, as a prostitute, as a Gentile prostitute, mm-hmm. became 
uh, part of the nation of Israel. The genealogy and she of is Jesus in the Christ. Genealogy mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's called redemption wow. right there. But, you know, it's kind of funny that those two spies, it's kind of clever of them, actually. You're going into a, a hostile city, a foreign city, and who are you going to connect with in the city? Well, you're two good-looking men, probably, or big strapping men, whatever. And so you're going to, if you go to the prostitute's house or check out the prostitute, nobody's going to question that much. But because, because yeah, everybody people, that was people pro- are and coming so in and out there he's anyway, not, They're not going right? to go talk to the, the ambassador or the mayor of the city. They're going to have to find some way to get in. So that's how they did it. And they went to the, and I thought it was really clever that they were really thinking and actually using this clever cover. And then she um, recognized, know. yeah, and she became one of those. But again, again, we have people in the Bible with names and people with strange backgrounds, people with uh, very sordid backgrounds and, and lifestyles that Jesus actually takes compassion on. So when we go to, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, back to, to Jericho. Now, at, at the time of Jesus, there was a, there was a curse when the, when, when the city was destroyed. Joshua pronounced a curse, said, you know, anybody who rebuilds the city is going to, uh, I think it's they, they would lose their eldest son would die in, when they set the foundations, when they start building it. And by the time, at the time, at the time they finish it, their youngest son would die. Mm-hmm. And that happened. There was another guy that did that at the time of when King Ahab, the wicked King Ahab was ruling in Israel. Um, and one guy rebuilt Jericho, and yep, it happened to him. Yeah. He started the building process, mm-hmm. lost his oldest son. When he finished it, his youngest son died. It was there was it was a there was a curse on that city. It's, isn't it amazing? No, isn't the, it amazing that those words of that curse lay dormant in the ground or wherever they were in the air in the ground, whatever, until the time when it came to pass, and then the curse was fulfilled. And this is the power of death. Death and life, and life is in, in the, the power, power of, the, of tongue. the tongue. Yeah. And Joshua, this was many, many, many years. Ahab was way, way after Jericho and Joshua. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years, hundreds and and hundreds. And then now at the time of Jesus, Jericho was a city. uh, It was was quite a a wealthy city. Now, Herod the Great, he he really wasn't great, but he thought himself was He was a big shot. He was a big shot, very wicked man. But he had rebuilt Jericho. Now, I don't know... And it was not quite on the same site, but really close to it. And it was still known as Jericho, which is kind of like um, just uh, north of Jerusalem a little ways, not so far. Uh, but anyway, it was a it was a big, it was a resort city. Oh. And it was known as the city of, of palm trees. And Herod the Great built a big uh, winter palace there. And he had all these uh, he, he, these elaborate ornamental gardens and everything like mm-hmm. that. So that's what was going on there. And then there was something from the palm trees, too, uh, from the, I don't know if it would be coconuts or what it was, but the, the palm uh, trees were were kind of the trademark of Jericho, and, and the people used products from these palm trees to amass uh, uh, wealth. So so anyway, so, so you think of it as a beggar in a, in a, in a tourist city. Now, you, you go to places around the world, as a tourist, mm-hmm, or uh, mm-hmm. you, and beggars are very common, right? You know, right. we, you know, just they'll they'll yeah. they'll come right to your if you're in a vehicle, they'll come right to your vehicle. Some of them are true beggars, and some are just uh, scammers. Mm-hmm. And but here in the time of of Jesus, if you couldn't um, do physical work, you know, most jobs required physical mm-hmm. labor. 
And if you were disabled, you know, physically, yeah. and of course, obviously he was, uh, it doesn't say he was born blind, he had become blind uh, somehow, he was not able to work. Now, in, in the book of Leviticus, God may, had made provision to help people like this, that the God's people were mm-hmm. to... Help the beggars? Yeah, provide for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and, but, but, but most, most of the time that wasn't, I mean, most well, remember of the, they didn't have any welfare systems. They didn't have any no social wealth, services, no disability, they didn't have any food stamps. They didn't have any, you know, no. help with your electric bill or anything. And so these men were just, of course they were, these people who were begging, uh, were pretty much on their own. Now most, I don't think any able-bodied man would be a beggar unless there was something physically wrong with him that kept him from being able to go out and get his, you know, income. And so, but going down to Jericho, Jericho, as you were saying, was uh, on the uh, kind of going downhill from Jerusalem. Yep. So even Jerusalem was on the north. Mountain. Even yeah. though it's north of Jerusalem, we think up north, down south. But yeah. it was yeah. it was downhill as far as elevation. Because it was on the floodplain of Jordan. Remember when, when yep. Joshua cl- crossed about the Jordan? About five miles from the Jordan River. Yeah, he crossed the Jordan. The Jordan would flood. That ri- it's a river. And Joshua crossed that. God dried up the river so they could walk across it in flood stage again. He dried up another body of water system, and they walked by, and then they got up to Jericho. So, and Jericho was then so Jericho is on the the lowland, and but nonetheless, so we have in. But I want to just go back to our story, and in Luke, it, it adds a few details. Seems like Luke took a little more time. He was a little more creative, a little more des- descriptive in his uh, everything that he wrote. Uh, Mark was in a hurry, obviously. When it happened, this is in Luke, that he, Jesus, was coming near Jericho, that a certain blind man, certain blind man with a name, of course, sat by the roadside begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. Of course, if he's blind, he has no other way of knowing anything, not by his sight for sure, except through the hearing. So he, what's going on? What's going on? This is, and, and it was the time of crowds coming by because of the Passover Coming, people were coming up to Jerusalem. It was time for, and you know, this is where Jesus is going to be crucified, the Passover, Passover Lamb. He's headed up towards Jerusalem, and but this multitude seemed to be more noisy than others because he said, uh, "What's going on?" You know, hearing the multitude pass by, he said, "What? What's going on?" So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. So in this multitude, this crowd, this you know, excitement was over not just a crowd going up to a, a feast day. But it was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And evidently, he must have heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, you pick up a lot of news along the road. That's what you do. You sit and you talk with people and you get the news. And, and, he, and when he realized it was Jesus of Nazareth passing by, he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. I mean, he was like right out there with his voice going, you know, uh, ballistic to try to get his get Jesus's attention. Yeah, and you know when you're, I'm told that you know when a person is is blind, their other senses become more acute. Right. So he was hearing. Now, if he's he's think of this now, as we mentioned, is he's sitting there along the road, and and that's basically it was it was kind of like uh, the internet or Facebook of the day. Right. Right. He's sitting there. He's hearing people. He's begging. He's hearing what people are talking about. Right. And so when he realized it was Jesus, the son of David, he began to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Then, interesting enough, those who were who went before him, uh, those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. 
No. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, so we have a little guard going before the crowd of Jesus, like his little bodyguards or whatever, going before, and they're seeing this man beginning to create some sort of embarrassing ruckus, crying out, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, and they told him to be quiet, just like they told the, the people to stop bringing their little children. Just leave, just don't do that. Get, yeah, just get them out of here. Just noisy they're, little snotty so, so these guys were kind of like the crowd clearers, and they tried to keep things quiet and calm and and uh, protected for Jesus. So, But he cried out all the more. So he was, re- he was running into some resistance, some real resistance. These guys were bl- not blind guys. They saw what they were doing. They knew who they were. Bartimaeus had no way to defend himself, no way to protect himself if those guys would have wanted to just haul off and hit him. Yeah. Just just going back just slightly, with him hearing this thing, conversations about, you know, the news there. I'm sure over the over the months or he had heard, but, you know, there were some blind people that had gotten healed. Right. Who is all oh, this? Some guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And, and can you imagine just hearing about that and then thinking, well, I don't know where he is or how this happened. I can't really get around. But wouldn't that be something? If that could happen to me. Yeah. And then when he hears Jesus of Nazareth, he's the guy that's Whoa. healing people. Yeah, yeah. That's and he's the guy. right here right now. Hey, that's Jesus. the guy. And he, and he, this is such an awesome, good fortune for him. I mean, I don't think he ever would have, he couldn't have ever gone and looked for Jesus. He no. would have never known how to go there or how to catch Jesus up. Jesus was or, on the move all, yeah. the, all the time. He would have never, ever ever been able to find Jesus, but Jesus find, found him. And what's so cool is that in verse 40, 49 of, of Mark, Jesus, so Jesus stood still. So he hears this noise. He knows what's going on. He heard the people warning him to be quiet, but Jesus stopped. He stopped. Everything stopped when Jesus stopped. He stood, st- he stopped. He just, he was on his way on a mission, but he stopped. He put it just up, up we're just stopping. And, and everybody, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Why, why are you stopping? And he commanded that this man be called. So they called the, young, the, the blind man and said to him, be of good cheer, rise. He's calling you. So, so they said, hey, hey, guy, blind guy, hey, you, Jesus wants to talk to you. Jesus wants to talk, told us to go get you. So they were in, commissioned to go and get this man and so they went, uh, and the ones who had been warning him now had to go get him and bring him to Jesus. There's an interesting connection here. What was it that he cried out, Marjorie? Jesus, son of David, have son mercy of, on me. Son of David. Son of David. Okay. Uh, the prophets had mm-hmm. spoken for years that the Messiah would be the son of David. Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verses uh, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of who? David. David, and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So all the, the, the prophets, Isaiah here and other places, knew that he was going to be of the son, the son of David. Right. So, he, so that, that's, that the Messiah is the son of David. And so what, what Bartimaeus is doing here, this is great revelation. 
uh, you know, from from God to Him, yeah. because He is He is connecting mm-hmm. Jesus of Nazareth with the Son of David, and, and equating so them he's as the same one. Yeah, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the Son of David, which means then He's the Messiah. He's the Messiah. Yeah. So He's there. There's he, there's the faith right there. That's this is the Messiah. I don't know if there's another place before this recorded in the Gospels where anybody declares that Jesus is the son of David. However, but if you notice, like you said, Jesus's pedigree, his genealogy was well preserved as math, as as Luke and um, Matthew. Matthew tell us. And not only on his father's side, but on his mother's side and both sides, he came from David. On the one, he was uh, the son of mm-hmm. David's son, Solomon. On the other, he was the, the, the um, that would be Joseph's side. And on Mary's side, he was the son of Nathan, who was also David's son. So he's of the proper, the only, the only authentic bloodline through which the Messiah can come was the son of David. He had to be the son of David to be the Messiah. And so this blind, disabled guy that's a beggar, Gets this revelation. Amazing how God gave that revelation to a beggar. And can you imagine My. this guy? So here, here we have it. So David, have mer- son of David, have mercy upon me. As a matter of fact, and then we go five days later or whatever to the triumphal entry where everybody is crying out, son of David, son of David, Jesus, you know, king of the king and son of David. So we get that final revelation of son of David just hours before he's crucified. Um Son of David, have mercy. So Jesus stood still, and he commanded to be brought to him, him to be brought to him. And when he had come near God, Jesus asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? Now, this is a very good question, and let's just stop here for a second. You know, many people who have been in a situation for a long, long, long time, a physical situation, a financial situation, a relational situation, where nothing has changed, nothing ever seems to change, nothing ever seems to get better, and you kind of get ground up in that, and you just say, well, you just accept it, you live with it, you learn to cope with it, you learn to suffer through it, um, and you don't even have a question formulated anymore, or an answer to the question, if Jesus would say to you, well, what do you want me to do for you? We don't even have an answer anymore. Uh, when he when he went to the guy 38 years by the pool who couldn't get in the water i don't know if the guy was yeah i don't know if the guy was blind or lame or both lame i think he he, well it could have been both because he He couldn't get in he couldn't get up in time yeah he couldn't see the the water being troubled and he couldn't get in but anyway when when jesus asked that guy what would you have me do for you the guy didn't even answer the question he couldn't answer the question he just began he continued complaining he made an excuse no he well yeah he explanation explanation he said when the water is troubled i can't get in nobody puts me in nobody puts me in i don't i don't have anybody so i'm helping me in. I'm helpless. Yeah. And, and and so he wasn't really asked. He could have just said, heal me. I want to be healed. I'll be, that's what he wanted. But he was so in his muck that he couldn't even think about that anymore. And so many times we too, um, well, what would you do if you had a million dollars? You just say, well, you don't have any money now. Let's just say you have no, I, I, I don't know. You know, you don't even know what you do. So Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Obviously. Um, but this man, Bartimaeus, and by the way, can we go back to his name for a minute? Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, Mark says. So he had a first name and a last name. His first name was Bart, and his last name was Timaeus. So he was Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And um, that's how they named people back then, the son of who mm-hmm. gave you your last right. name. Mm-hmm. And so he was. Um, he said to him, um, the blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means great one or teacher, that I may receive my sight. He didn't pause. He didn't wonder. He didn't scratch his head. He, but but in in um, 
uh, uh, where is it? Um, what do you mean? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. But in the, the story of Matthew, isn't that the one where he, um, oh, that was not the one. Well, he threw off here. Hold on. Let me see. Well, it says he threw off his garment. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get to that part. Um, yeah. In verse 50, uh, verse 50 of Mark. Yeah. 10. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So um, they said to him, hey, be of good cheer. Arise. He's calling for you. Get up. Get up. Hurry up. Hurry. He's stopping. He's sta- He's waiting. And so he threw off his garment. I think this is a very interesting verse. And the, he got a whole verse dedicated to the fact that he threw away aside his garment, his yeah. coat, his mm-hmm. robe, his cloak, whatever you want to call it. Can you imagine if you're, you know, you're blind and your coat, let's just say he has a pretty nice wool coat. That's his keeping him warm, keeping him, you know, protected from the rain. It's his house. It's it his is house. his house. It's his house. Yeah, it's all he's got. And he was so excited, but it was was old. It was it was the thing that was his, you know, you know, safety blankets, you know, security blanket. But it was also the thing that kept him from going. He had to have it because he was blind. He couldn't let go of it. He couldn't lose it either, because then how would he find oh, it again? Yeah. And so when he threw it or into so, a or crowd, somebody, or somebody uh, or another beggar might steal could, it, could steal it from or him. Find it. It's the same like we have homeless right. today, where people steal from right. each other. But he, when he threw it into the crowd, he threw he threw it down. He cast off his old life. He cast off his old way of thinking. He cast mm-hmm. off his blind mindset. He cast off his um, nothing's ever going to change. He had to literally act of total faith, casting off, throwing away, throwing aside, casting aside. Will you do that? Will you do that? Will you cast aside all of your props, all of your excuses, all of your, you know, um, familiar spirits that keep you locked in a mindset, in a lifestyle, in a situation that you hate, like Jesus wants to heal you from, pick you up out of? And will you, we have the courage to lay aside the, the things we, we counted on, the things we had to have, the things, you know, we're just so, this man think about it. I mean, how this is, what do we, what do we, I have to have my what to survive. I have to have my coffee in the morning. Uh, just, uh, you know, we have to have our certain, um, you know, uh, our routine. We have to have everything perfect and in order. We can't have any chaos. We have to have the dust removed every day from our house. We have to have something that we have to have in order to be okay. We've, we've equated my being okay with something I have to have. I have to have control of this. I have to have the last word in this. I have to be able to whatever defend myself. Whatever is I have to have to survive is the very thing God is going to ask you to give up as an act of faith in, take, in walking into your new life being transformed. You you and I were programmed, were programmed to believe I need this, this, and this. Now, some of those things are legitimate, but some of those things are contrived. And Satan has got us, you know, he's he's programmed us with an equation that is is not truth. I have to have what to be okay. I have to have everybody like me to be okay. I have to avoid conflict to be okay. I have to do what everybody tells me to be okay. I have to dress like everybody dresses to be okay. I have to uh, wear uh, drive a certain kind of car to be okay. Whatever the things are, and I think a lot of them are emotional. Um, and they and when you don't have those things, of course, Satan sets up that equation. I've got to have fill in the blank. I've got to have this to be okay. 
then he takes away that thing you've got to have so you begin to get anxious and panicky and freak out. And then, of course, all your your walls are collapsing inside because you have depended upon yourself and not following the Spirit of God, knowing that God is committed to keeping you no matter what. And so a lot of us are not willing to live with that much risk. We want to have everything pretty much planned out, plotted out, and the way we want it. And so this is the coat situation with Bartimaeus. He is giving up. He's walking up out of it. It's like he just, it's kind of like he just won the lottery. So it doesn't matter anymore what he had to have and what he didn't have and what he was, because now he was going to get what he asked for, and that was his sight, which was to him more than the lottery. And the Bible doesn't say he went back and picked up his coat. I mean, he could have, but it, it says he followed Jesus on the road. Yeah, somebody else so, could have but, even but handed it, was, it to him. You know, you never right, know. But. Yeah, yeah. But it was really the symbol of like, I'm going into a new life here. But yeah. th- let's talk about this. Some some of us, are we're stuck with it is what it is. Yeah. Some people that have believed God for release and mm-hmm. deliverance and for something new. And, and, a breakthrough, and an answer to prayer. God, just... They've trusted, they've waited, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and things don't seem to have changed. Mm-hmm. Do you have a word for those well, that are in in that kind of situation where it's a, like they're stuck? They're they're crying out to Jesus. They're looking to Jesus, and things don't uh, don't seem to well, change can, at all. Go back to Bartimaeus and answer the question: How many things do you suppose he tried to do to get his sight back? We don't know if he was blind from birth, like the guy in John, uh, the Gospel of John. We we don't know if it came as an accident, as something happened. Um, and here, here's another thing he had probably had to deal with, because we learn in John chapter nine that this man that was born blind, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they said, well, he must have uh, The sinned. disciple said, disciple said, who sinned that this man was born blind? Right. Was it he or his parents? So we had this so, to deal th- with. So he had to that thing too. That curse, that, that, that curse stigma. Over him. Mm-hmm. People looked at him and said, "There's a sin in your in, life." In your life. Or in the life of your parents, somebody sin. Somebody sin. That's why you're like that. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of you're kind of stewing in your own juice. You're kind of getting what you've got coming because of your sin. So there's no. But compassion. Jesus refuted that. Right. Is interesting. In, in John chapter nine. Yeah. He said no. He said neither did, did this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be manifest mm-hmm. in him. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it, it's yeah. possible. It is possible that there can be blindness, physical uh, and spiritual infirmities upon people because of the sins of the generations. Mm -hmm. But Jesus came to break through that. Well, he didn't say no one had sinned. He didn't say there wasn't a lie or an agreement that that had given Satan power to do this um, because it had happened, you know, at the conception of the man or in the womb. I mean, he hadn't sinned in the womb. How do you sin in the womb to, to... bring yourself a curse of blindness. You really can't. But but nonetheless, as we see back in the book of Job, people who were not doing well or who had bad things happening to them were uh, assumed to be, they had the, uh, a version of karma going on as well. Mm-hmm. They, you know, bad things were happening to them, therefore they must have been bad, did something bad. And so it's a very naive and um, simplistic. I- I- simplistic, thank you, uh, way of rendering circumstances and situations. But Jesus said, neither this man, like you said, 
but that the works of God might be revealed. So some of you may be suffering, and I was thinking that this morning. People get started in such different places in their snake pit. Some people are born with a silver spoon. Some people are born and they get an inheritance. Some people are born and they're taught righteousness. They're raised to know the truth of God. Some people are born with absolutely nothing. They're born with no feedback, no praise, no, no encouragement. No they barely get enough. They barely get yeah. enough food or whatever to get themselves to the place where they're old enough to maybe go get their own stuff. And then they're way behind because they don't have parents to help them cross the bridge, get an education, you know, make a good decision, buy a car. They have nothing, absolutely nothing. And these kids. Um, not, there are kids like that in this country. Don't think there aren't. We have as many hidden in this country as probably in other countries, and we're worse be, to our children because we, 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 you know. I mean, yes, there's some who who don't fall between the cracks. Some who get extra help here and there, but the th- and that's good. But the thing is that we, um, uh, when we're in a situation, it, it it's not so much actually the situation that's destroying us, the negative, difficult situation. It is the um, it is what we do with it, is what we think about it, is how we see it. I mm-hmm. talked to a man recently, he says, I was in such a bad situation. Uh, it, was, I, it, was, I was, it was dark. Uh, I w- there was demons attacking me. I was at the brink of death, he says. And if I would have felt sorry for myself, he said, I would have never survived. Mm-hmm. And, and so he had to, you know. Encourage s- himself in the Lord. Yeah, he had like to. David did. Well, it's the encor- encourage yourself by, the way, by surrendering, saying, mm-hmm. you know what, Lord? I can't do this. Um, and that lovely, horrible, familiar, negative place you might be in, it's lovely only because you are used to it. If you want to get rid of that, you're going to have to let the Lord, you're going to surrender to God and say, you know, Lord, I can't do this. And, and on the other side of that coin, uh, what about people who say it is what it is, it's never going to change. But one of the problems with getting on the torture rack of Satan is he sets you up with this m- big, huge, overwhelming, um, defeating, impossible situation. Blindness for Bartimaeus might be something else for you. It might be the answer of a return of a prodigal son or child or the healing of a child from cancer or healing yourself or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is, it, you're, you're set up on a torture rack because on that one side, you've got this impossible situation. And on the other side, because you're built by God to want to be holy, to want to live and to want to, you know, be righteous, the devil sets you up with solutions to it. And one of the solutions he gives the Christians is to pray and fast and pray. And, and, and you know what? We can get, that can be a trap. Um, it can be a real trick because people say, well, if you just prayed more, if you were a perfect Christian, if you're a better Christian, if you just got up earlier in the morning, if you just read, read your, your Bible, Bible more, you, you, just, more, you, you yeah. just fasted, you know, three, four, five days a week, 10 days at a stretch. If you just Put a little do, more prayer. Yeah. If you just try harder. So on that side of the torch rack, you're trying harder, which is an actual setup because Jesus never said try harder. He didn't say be good. He didn't say, okay, I'll answer if you do this, this, and this. His love is never, his answers to prayer are never conditional. They are built on his compassion. And what he does he say this to do? What did the psalmist do? They pray, the Jeremiah, how long is it going to take, Lord? Why are all these w- wicked people prospering? What's going on here? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, how long, Lord, you know, how long will you turn your back? These kinds of prayers are true. They're genuine prayers. They're authentic prayers. They're fine to pray those prayers, to ask God this question. And so, but when you ask God the, press, the question, know that the answer comes from him. 
and not from you trying to do some more stuff to be okay to get rid of your sin. Yes, there's a time you may have to confess the sin. And, and we can't say there's a, this is always the situation and this is never the situation. It's not a black and white. It is a what time is it? Is it time for you to honor uh, the truth and repent, um, cast off, uh, cancel out an agreement you've made with? It is what it is and it's never going to change. Is it time for you to cast off your terror and fear about I've got to fix this and I can't fix this, therefore I'm tortured. Is it time for you to cast off all your religious activities of praying until you're bitter against God and yourself and you have n- you've never even brought the devil into the equation yet? You're mad at God because he doesn't do something for you because you've, you've you know, prayed your heart out, you know, poured your guts out, whatever you did, and you're still mad at God. This is a demon. A bitterness against God is a spirit. It's not you, but it makes you think it's you because it goes into your heart, goes into your soul, makes you feel mad at God, like you don't want to talk to God. And then what are you going to do when you die? If you're mad at God now, what are you going to do when you see him face to face? Are you going to repent then? Or is it going to be too late then? You know, and, Or have you wasted all your life staying mad at God or yourself or someone else when that was not the solution to bring justice? Justice is not does not come when we stay mad at someone or stay bitter or stay, you know, offended. That is not the mark of a, of a, of a strong man. That's the mark of a angry, a coward. You, you must give the injustices, the offenses, the, to God, you know, part of me is because, you know, it's not fair. I was born blind. It was not fair. I was born or have, have this blindness. How many people, my Lord have mercy in this world have tragedies happen to them all the time. And you see some of them make good things out of it and some of them make a mess out of it and do nothing except become more bitter and it takes them out. And a lot of times, you know, we try to build up what you're talking about was we want to build up, attempt to build up a sense of worthiness so God will do something for us. He asked him, he said, what do you want me to do for you? Right. And and why would Jesus even stop and ask an old, dirty, hadn't showered in probably months, you know, bushy, grubby, no showers, stinky, I know. <laughs> yeah, why I know. would Jesus stop to entertain the likes of such a scruffy, disgusting, smelly, probably human being? Because Jesus knew. Hallelujah. Jesus knew who this man was. He knew who he was. He, he, he knew that this man's very life was being held together by Jesus Christ himself in, him, in, in whom all things are consisting. Jesus is the glue that holds all the molecules together, that holds us together, even the most wicked people that you can imagine or name. Jesus Christ is the reason that they're still existing. And you say, well, why, why, why did he do that? Because of his great patience, his great power, and his great compassion. He's not willing that any should perish and his great love. So when he saw, now here's the problem. Here's the problem going into praying a prayer, getting through a trouble, getting through a trial, getting through, uh, you know, the accusations of people around you, getting through Satan's accusations against you. Here is the key. The key is knowing who you are. Not that you're somebody great, but yes, indeed, you are somebody great. Why? Because you know where you come from, you know. One of the evolution's biggest lies is to uh, cloud, confuse, muddy up, uh, discount, disclaim uh, the the origin of man. Mm-hmm. Where does he come from? Well, if he comes from an, a monkey, or he's a, he's a, an accident, or he's some primordial primordial slime, you know, explosion or something, this makes him nothing. 
an accident. And this is what the the generations that are behind us now, the the millennials, the XYZs, the you know, they don't they were taught evolution. They were taught wickedness in their schools. Their libraries were full of of these uh, demonic, diabolical stories and books and uh, information. And then they're forced to write papers as students, 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th graders, forced to write papers out of books that they get out of the library that are horrendous, that are tainted, that are uh, slanted towards hell, that that promote evolution and or... In Billions Christ- of years ago. Yeah, or they, they promote the... Uh, uh, the the depravity of man. If you're coming from a Christian circle in Calvinism, uh, they, there's no way that that person, if they've been indoctrinated with that, programmed with that, there's no way that they're going to feel any confidence in crying out to God, their heavenly Father, to rescue them out of this muck. If I know, if you know, if you know your dad, and say you have a fairly good dad, and say you're a child, and say you're in trouble. Maybe you're in trouble at school. Maybe you're in trouble with some bullies. Maybe you're in trouble somewhere else. If you know that your dad loves you, you know you'll run to your dad and say, help me, because you know he's bigger than you, and he's got money, he's got power, and he's got authority and whatever. You will go to him. But how many people don't see Father God as their father, as daddy, as an Abba father? They see him as a uh, an, an angry old a tyrant. man. Tyrant. With a, yeah, a dictator with a baseball bat in his hand. He's ready to beat you up if you mess up. That is what they were taught. That was their concept that Satan gave them of God. Their description of God is he's angry. If you break the law, he's going to squash you. And all of the all of the examples in the Old Testament, and is some in the New, well, there are some in the New as well, all of the examples where there was a discipline needed. I don't care any, everything from the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah to individuals, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, everywhere where there was a discipline, where God had to do some disciplining, Satan turns it around to make it look like God started it, like God is ticked off, like God is the one who lost his cool, lost his patience, and he's an obliterating man. And yes, we do have places where we hear God say, I'm, I, 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 I'm sorry I even made man, as he said to Noah. But So Satan uses all of those disciplinary moments to reinforce in your mind, the concept that God is what? Not there for you. He's not happy with you. He's not. He's scary. He's unapproachable. But Jesus Christ here on his way to complete the biggest mission. And by the way, just just a little sideline. This is the last recorded miracle that Jesus does before he gets to uh, the Last Supper. It's, you know, it's the last healing. It's the last um, guy that we get recorded, got an answer to prayer before Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. And, and you know, what the Bartimaeus is crying out, and, and Matthew, we went, you know, way back, you know, early in the program here today, we were talking about Matthew records that there were two mm-hmm. men. And, and very likely that Mark and Luke said there was just one, because mainly because there was, they were focused on the one that was the most vocal, they were both crying out in, in Matthew uh, 20, 29 through 34. They were both crying out, you know, son of David, have mercy. Probably the one that's the most vocal is the one that they, they, they recorded in Mark and Luke. You know, Mark liked to just kind of be cut to the chase and kind of abbreviate stuff. But um, 
So that that's really not an inconsistency. It's just a matter of no. perspective and emphasis. And another thing, you look at this way. Who was Matthew written to? It was written to the Jews. Mm-hmm. It was for the Jews to prove that he, the Messiah, is the son of David. That's what, you know. That's what's recorded. The son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the promised Messiah. Yeah. And uh, so, and and then the Jews. The big thing in their minds always was what in the mouth of two or three witnesses, right. everything should be established. Mm-hmm. That's Old Testament, that's New Testament. So here you have the two witnesses, the two that were were healed. Their eyes were open. So then Jesus, he says, the, the guy cries out to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. So the man knew exactly what he wanted. The only thing that wanted. would really help change his life at that point was to be able to see. Yeah. Then, then Jesus said to him, then Jesus said to him, said to him, said, didn't touch, didn't, you know, abracadabra, didn't get his magic wand. He just said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. It was, it was, a, it was a power demonstration. It was a, the power was in the word of God, in, in the words of Jesus Christ. The power, whether this spirit was a, a blindness, a spirit of blindness that would have attached itself to his eyes, or there was a malformation of the eyeballs, or whether there was a, a, an injury or disconnecting of the retina or whatever it was. We don't know. And it doesn't matter. Jesus didn't go of any complications. He just said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And they say, wow, 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 wow. Okay, I don't have enough faith. So then we get all this doctrine. Well, you don't have enough faith. That's why you're not well. No, that's not why you're not well, because you don't have enough faith. The, the, there's many, many possible reasons why you don't have an answer to prayer. And and yet the, the most important thing to understand is that, that Jesus overcame all of this man's inabilities, obstacles, whatever it was in, in many Cases Jesus healed them even when there was doubt and unbelief, and even when they had a bad attitude, yeah. and even when they were dead. So we're not talking about having enough faith there. He just he just made that comment: "Go your way; your faith has made you well." Yeah, and along with that, the other part of that too, in in, in that Matthew includes, it says that he touched their eyes. Well, so he said, "Go your way." He touched their eyes, and he said, "Go their, your way." He put it all together, and it's just fine. But uh, Matthew ten uh, twenty thirty four. So Jesus had compassion, right? It was his compassion. What were they crying out? Uh, were they crying out, oh, Lord, uh, you know, I went to the temple. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they couldn't go into the temple. They were not allowed right. to be right. involved in the religious exercises Correct. of the day. Correct. So they're crying out, Lord, have what? Mercy. In other words, give me what basically yeah. what grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. They're saying, have compassion. So he reaches out in compassion, and it's his, it's his great love for us. Yeah. It's his compassion. It's not residing in our, our, our own human merit, exactly. righteousness, or lack thereof. It's a crying out in faith, as they cried out in faith, Son of David, you are the Messiah, you're the Savior, we're crying out to you. Have mercy on us. And it's just a cry that Jesus hears, and he moves, and, and yeah. he, he speaks with compassion and the power of oh, God, yeah. the power of God to heal and restore Amen. flows into them, yes. and they become followers of Jesus. You know, you sent, he couldn't get into the temple. This man wasn't able to get into the temple because he was blind. 
um, he was marginalized. He was pushed along the sideline. He was on the side of the road. You know, move. Life is passing him by. He's barely hanging on. I don't know if he's getting enough to eat. I don't know if he's skinny. I don't know. If he's, but he, but he couldn't get into the 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 other guy couldn't get into the pool. They couldn't get into the traditions that they thought would bring cleansing, healing, and make them have pleasing to God. But Jesus was writing a new law. He had already given them a new commandment. I give you that you love one another. And so all of the, the, the ways we try to traditionally make ourselves approachable and, and clean ourselves up and get our act together and try harder to be good so God will like us is a waste of time. As a matter of fact, it's a distraction. It's not just a waste of time. It's a diabolical, demonic distraction because you're so focused on trying harder to be good and get God to like you that you miss the whole. It's, it's like an implied consent giving agreement, comply, implied consent to the devil that I am not okay. God doesn't love me. If you're saying God doesn't love me, you are calling God a liar. If you're saying that God doesn't love me because I this, this, and this, you are calling God a liar. God loves us, but he cannot bless every act of crazy, stupid disobedience, just like you as a parent, love your child, but you cannot bless every act of behavior, stupid, dangerous behavior. You can't bless it. You can't promote it. You can't raise them up thinking it's okay. There's there's a difference between being and blessing. God loves us. We're human beings made in the image of our Father, who's the great supreme being. And yet we do bad things because of de- de- deception, temptation, pressure, panic, agreeing with lies, being deceived, being tricked. Eve was deceived by the one who brought into the garden. The question, did God say? He opened her mind up to begin to reason when before she had never, ever asked any questions. They just walked with God. They talked with God. God told them the way it was, what was going on, how it worked. And they never had any questions. But when Satan brought in the possibility of there being a question, another option, she began to reason, well, it looks good. The fruit looks like it'll make me wise, blah, blah, blah. And there you have it. So she flipped into her soul, which is the source of reasoning. And that's what we do many times in our prayers, in our troubles, in our panic situations. We, we flip back into our reasoning and our emotion, our thinking, and we try to figure things out. This, there's no way to figure out how this man got healed except to know that God just spoke and it was done. There was a miracle. This is the power. Jesus says, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, over the power of the spirit of blindness, over the spirit of fear, over the spirit of it is what it is, over the spirit of it's never going to change. I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But we still have a free will in all of that. You have a free will. I have a free will. So we can either use the power, stand in the power, stand in the promises of God, stand. And that means we're having faith in the promises of God, standing in the promises of God. Or we can slip into our own miserable, you know, small, worrisome, anxious world or the world other people have created for us. You can stay there if you want to, or you can get into the word of God and begin to see that Jesus is standing still. He is waiting for you. He stood still for Bartimaeus. He's standing still for you right now, too, that you can come to him. It is really time, people. I can't tell you how urgent the time is. We're in the last moments of the last hour, 
And and people, we people know you know this in your spirit. You know that Jesus is coming back. You know that things can't get much worse. You know that you know there's something wrong, and yet we are. You want to avoid it. We want to de- deny it. We want to you know keep living our you know in our, in our, <laughs> our simulated life, if you will, without going into the Word of God. You need to need to. Yes, you do need to. We're built to eat out of the word of God. You need to feed yourself out of the word of God. If you don't eat food, you die. If you don't eat the word of God, you die spiritually. Yeah, it's interesting. This man recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, okay? Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David, is the Messiah. He's blind, but he has this wonderful spiritual revelation. He sees it in he, he his got spirit. It. He got he it. He got it. However, Jesus, the religious leaders of the day, as it is today, he said, they are blind leading the blind. And and I see I see that over and over. I had that reinforced yesterday by watching an interview with a very prominent pastor mm-hmm. in, in a major city in the United States. And it's like, oh, my goodness, it's blind leading the blind. Right. And it's just... And they're both going to fall in the ditch. They're going to both going to fall off the road. Yeah. And and Jesus, uh, in Matthew twenty three, where he, you know, dealt with the the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, he said, "You're blind guides. You're fools. You're blind. You're blind guides. You're blind Pharisees. You're you're blind. You're spiritually blind. You don't but get th- it. You don't it's see like it. you don't want to get it." He said at one point, he said, "The tax collectors and the harlots." The prostitutes and the IRS people, you know, the escorts, the call girls, whatever, those that are involved in human trafficking, the gangsters, the mobsters, you know, the low life people, they're going to get into the kingdom of God before you will. And he said in in Matthew and John chapter nine, verse thirty nine, this is at the end of the story of the man that was born blind, Mm -hmm. you know, and he was healed and he cleared the air as far as, you know, it was the healing was for the glory of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not that the works of God should be manifest in him. Mm-hmm. And that's why he was born blind, because to prove I'm, I'm using this situation as bad as it was to des- display my power yes. to to bring healing and freedom. So he said in John nine thirty nine, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see. Yes. Isaiah Spiritually 35. See. It mm-hmm. talks about the eyes of the blind he will open. Mm-hmm. It all prophesied that Jesus was going to physically open blind eyes. And spiritually. And, and spiritually. That those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Those that think they see, and Jesus said, "You, you, you, you think you see; therefore, your sin remains. You think you see, but you're as blind as blind can be." Mm-hmm. And and so God is at the place right now; He's opening the eyes of people, and may God open our yes. eyes to see who He is, at, at, at the Savior, yes. the Son of God. Yeah. And it takes a, a, a revelation. Yeah. And I I really believe that we need to pray. When we're praying for people that are stuck in various situations, sickness, disease, or yeah. rebellion, or whatever it is, uh, uh, to pray that they will have, as Paul prayed mm-hmm. in the, in, to the, for the Ephesians, that the, uh, the God 
of uh, of this of world grace. has blinded their eyes, but the, the God, God of, of this grace world has blinded those eyes. But the, but he prayed for the church at Ephesus that the spirit of that they may receive the spirit of wisdom, wisdom and, and revelation, revelation in, in the, the knowledge, knowledge of, of Him Jesus of Christ. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So Lord, we pray that right yes, now amen. for people that you know in our our lives for ourselves, Lord. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Give that to, you know, children that are rebelling, grandchildren that are rebelling, people that are are sick, people have turned their backs on you, people that have just explored other avenues of of spiritual. May they get sick of it. May they see through it. Trying to find truth in other ideas and new age and all, all kinds of other religions and things. Lord, Give them, Jesus. Lord, we pray for for people that we're that are hearing this today, that Jesus. open their eyes, yes, and Lord, Lord, use us to pray for the opening of the eyes of the those that are spiritually blind right oh, now, that they will see you, that they will realize Jesus, you are the Lord, you are the King, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of David, you are the one that is full of mercy and compassion, and Lord God, we just we trust you, have mercy on us. Have compassion on us. Uh, bring us what we need, Lord, Father God. more than anything else. Yes, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, for answering our prayer. May you bless each one who's heard today in Jesus' name. Also, just FYI, uh, on March 23rd, 23rd, on a Saturday, I'm doing a conference. Um, I give you power in um, St. Paul Park, Minnesota. So we invite you there at 10 o'clock in the morning at the church um, household of faith. God bless you, and have a great day. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.